Hi there. A quick message before we start. Don't forget that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code SKIPODCAST. You'll get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. Just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the Ski Podcast, remember to book your ski hire within support and to use the code Ski Podcast or take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Right, let's get on with the show. And welcome to episode 92 of the Ski Podcast, and thanks for joining us today, listener. Today, we're going to be chatting about Andermatt, uh, Listex, and lots about Scotland, including the Nevis Range and the Mighty Co event. We have snow reports from around the Alps, plus we're finding out about when accidents on the piece are most likely to occur. But I would like to start off today with some news hot off the press. Uh, listener, you've made the right choice. You are officially listening to the best winter sports podcast and that is according to over twenty thousand voters in the sports podcast awards it was only announced last night so i'm still taking it in a bit but i'd like to uh, thank everyone who voted for us all of the contributors and interviewers who've uh, joined me and if you're a long-time listener hopefully you'll agree and if you're new to the pod well listen to the end and you can decide for yourself now, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism, who've supported the ski podcast through most of our journey. This year marks the 175th anniversary of the Swiss Railway. Uh, back in 1847, the uh, first Swiss train route ran between Zurich and Baden. I love traveling by train, uh, particularly in Switzerland. There are lots of videos you can look at on the uh, Skipedia YouTube channel. Give it a go yourself. This summer, there'll be all sorts of events uh, celebrating that anniversary. My name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. Firstly, I'm delighted to welcome for the first time Babsy Lapwood from the Mountain Trade Network. How are you, Babsy? I'm good. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, and also, I'm joined today by our regulars, Al Morgan from Ski Kit Info. Hi, Al. Hi, Ian. Morning. And Katie Crow from Battleface Travel Insurance. Hi, Katie. Hi, good morning. Now, Katie, I'm going to exclude you from this question because I happen to know that you're leaving for Chamonix imminently, and that will be your first ski trip for a couple of years. Uh, Katie's looking very excited about that on the screen right now. But let's uh, ask my guests when they skied or snowboarded uh, last. Let's start with you, Babsy. When were you last on snow? Uh, February half term with the whole family, and we went to the Dolomites. Yeah, and I think very kindly you sent us in a report there because you're in uh, Sudtirol, is that right? Yes, that's right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, uh, was that your first trip for a few years, that particular one? No, we also went in January to Tyrol. Brilliant, so you've done well. I mean, I'm yeah. also going to be skiing with a family a couple of times uh, this year, and I think you know that's possibly indicative of all of that pent-up demand from people who missed holidays in the previous uh, season. So... That was a couple of months ago now, I guess. And what about you, Al? I think you've skied most recently out of all of us. Yeah, I drove back on Sunday night from Scotland skiing in the east and the west. And it was, uh, yeah, epic. It was awesome. Excellent. Well, we're going to talk to you in a lot more detail about that shortly. I do notice that there has been some uh, fresh snowfall in Scotland uh, just now. And also in the Lake District, uh, long-time uh, listeners might remember uh, when I interviewed Simon Burgess about skiing on the Ray's ski lift in, in the Lake District, and they have a webcam that goes out on Twitter. I noticed they probably just about got enough snow to uh, ski on uh, at the moment. Uh, but at this point, I'd like to just bring in uh, Katie from Battleface Travel Insurance. You know, for a lot of our time in the podcast, we've been talking about all the rules and regulations and stuff like that. But we've decided to put that on the back burner for a while. And last week, we talked about the, the, the cost of being a lift off the mountain and how unbelievably a lot of people don't actually have specific ski insurance. But right at the end of that, you mentioned you had some research about when accidents are most likely to occur. And I wondered if you could give us an insight on that. Yeah, that's right, Ian. As, as we all know, skiing can be considered as a, an extreme sport. And um, the American Orthopaedic Society for Sports and Medicine notes that skiing-related injury, injuries are most likely to occur on the first day of the ski week, in the early morning when the skier is not actually warmed up, and in the late morning and late in the day when the fatigue sets in and you just do that one more run moment. And during the afternoon, the temperature starts to cool down, so the ter terrain can get a little bit rockier and 
a little bit skied out. So the slopes can become a little bit more difficult. And the first thing that could kind of um, happen is muscle fatigue. Also notes that the ACL tear is one of the most common injuries um, as it holds the muscles together. And if the muscles are fatigued at the end of the day, you know, too much tension is put on the ligaments and that can often be the first thing to go. Well, that's a lot of information there to take in. I mean, you covered quite a few times in the day. You mentioned like that first run. I guess the importance of, of warming up, particularly if you haven't skied for a while, there might be some people going out this Eastern. You know, I'm going out to Les Des Alpes in a week's time and we're going with a few other families, most of those people haven't skied for two years. So the advice there would be to make sure that they are fully uh, warmed up before they start off skiing, particularly like with a gap like that. Absolutely. I mean, warming up is absolutely essential. Doing slow, you know, kind of green, blue runs um, on your first day, not kind of doing anything too wild, just taking it really easy and, you know, really take notice of the safety rules. Don't go off peace on your first day. You know, just take it easy. Just ease yourself into it. Um, obviously, a lot of people haven't been skiing for quite a, quite a long time, myself included. So it's really, really important to do that warm up. So you're going to be taking it easy. I can imagine my friends, the other parents will be taking it easy. Might have trouble getting the kids to slow down and not to uh, shoot off uh, straight away. They may be a bit more bendy and flexible. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've actually been doing um, some personal training um, uh, sessions in the run up to my ski trip because I just wanted to kind of really make sure that I'm getting my core muscles moving, you know, in advance of, of my trip, kind of want to really boost my physical fitness before I go. That makes that makes a lot of sense. Well, anecdotally, I can tell you that actually um, my mum came out to visit me one year when I was doing ski seasons and she actually she actually injured herself on the first run of the day. So I pretty much <laughs> suspect that she didn't warm up uh, properly. I mean, she was maybe unlucky. It was the first run of the day. So that is really important. Uh, do you want to mention something about kit as well? Yes, absolutely. Um, in addition, you know, having the right kit is really, really important. It needs to fit properly. And you need to make sure your skis are the right length for your mm. ski level. Um, so, you know, usually higher shops measure, they do properly measure your boots and skis and poles. But if you have any kind of issues, you know, you definitely should go back at the end of the day to check in with the ski hire shop and get, you know, improved kits or change your kit as, as needs must. Yeah, well, we've, uh, dis Al and I have discussed this at length before and uh, listener, I'll put a link into the show notes, but we've discussed before. There you go. I've just found it. Episode 81. What length skis should I get? And in fact, only a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about, you know, changing your boots uh, during the course of the week, which obviously if you're, if you're hiring with uh, Intersport, you can change your skis and your boots anytime uh, that you want during the week. What about accidents on the slopes? Um, Babsy, you mentioned to me in the green room earlier that uh, you had an altercation with a snowboarder. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was about the time of the day or was that, you know, about, um, you know, maybe they weren't paying attention to slope etiquette? I think, I think it was just you know, sort of at the bottom, everybody coming together and uh, yeah. And he just went across the slope and, and I was literally behind him and I, I couldn't, I couldn't avoid him. And my, my pole actually snapped and I, you know, okay. I, I fell on my head and obviously luckily I had a really good helmet and James was behind me. So he actually thought I broke something, but I didn't. So, Gosh, sorry, well, I'm delighted to hear you're okay. You know, helmets, that's something else we talked about. Uh, episode 88, where I think when Chemi Alcott was on the show, uh, we had that whole discussion about that. So I think, that, you know, the key is, that, you know, make make sure you've got the right kit. Don't be afraid about uh, changing it and do your warm-ups. Katie? Yeah, I think also, I mean, the key is don't ski when you're tired. Take a break, you know. You don't have to ski every hour of the day. Um, and make sure you're properly hydrated. And obviously, don't consume alcohol and ski. Not only are you more likely to become hydrated and tired, but it can lead to recklessness and accidents. And your travel insurance is unlikely to cover you if you're drunk. That is probably the most important point that you can, you can make <laughs> if you're saying, oh, well, maybe you shouldn't uh, have a drink. A lot of people might disagree with that, but they may not have considered that side of things. And, you know, I'm personally... I'm, really uh you know drink very much anyway but i certainly wouldn't have an alcoholic drink on the mountain it's not my sort of thing back in the day uh, uh maybe however if you, talk, if you talk about injuries and alcohol on that on the mountain 
one classic uh, case where this continues to be uh, an issue is in uh, St. Anton. You know, there's uh, the Musavert and the uh, KK on the opposite sides of the slopes uh, uh, on the way down, two very famous Apre ski bars. And people, uh, you know, get very, very drunk there, have great fun dancing on the tables and everything. And I believe that's all back happening again post-COVID. But then sometimes, you know, they ski down and that's actually not so bad. But some people sled down toboggan down from there and it can be almost impossible to stop yourself and every season there are stories of people who go down on toboggans end up scooting over a little ridge at the bottom and land in the tennis courts which isn't a very comfy uh, uh, landing so we'll put all of that behind us just say be sensible think about it particularly in that first run of the day not overdoing it you know towards the end of the day and you know, it's a holiday you've got plenty of time um i'm, I'm not really a first to last uh, lifter kind of person myself but um you know if you're going out in uh, april you've got lovely uh, nice uh, hopefully nice warm sunshine although it is very cold right now we'll we'll come on to that that's brilliant katie thanks very much for that thank you so much we mentioned people are going out and actually I mentioned the, uh, you know, you typically expect in spring longer days, warmer days, but suddenly the temperature has actually dropped in most of the Alps at the moment. And we have some snow reports uh, from some of our regular contributors. We've got Dave from Snow Pro Ski School, uh, Alex from Tip Top uh, Ski Coaching in Laders Alp, Steve Angus, another instructor in uh, Val d'Isere and Elena Protopal from uh, Tyrol. Hello Ian, it's Dave Burrows from Snow Pro Ski School. Uh, I'm here on my own today. I'm sitting on the lonely side of the hill um, doing gate control for a ski race for one of the schools that we work with. I, from my vantage point here, I can see all the way down uh, the Morjam Valley and then over into the Valley de Bondance on the French side. And I can see a cloud. And this is like a big thing here because I haven't seen a cloud for about a month like we've had such an amazing period of like high pressure that's just sat over Switzerland. Um, the only problem with it is that it hasn't been accompanied anymore as the seasons going on hasn't been accompanied by these sort of super low temperatures. But the, the temperature, uh, so it's been a bit slushy the last couple of weeks for all those that have been out there. They would have known that slushy in the afternoon. Um, but actually, now the temperatures are starting to starting to drop again. So it's freezing overnight. The piste here is for the races in absolutely amazing condition in Morjan. And um, yeah, and so so it's been all right. Tourists have loved it. Uh, all the clients have loved it. Everyone, you know, people prefer in general, you know, they like to say that they're powder hounds, but people prefer in general blue skies to, uh, to, to, to big snow, which is kind of the inverse to, to all the ski instructors and all the locals. So, um, anyway, so yeah, we're, uh, we're all doing great out here. Uh, we're just waiting for the kind of the, the Easter's a bit late this year, but we've got some bookings for early, uh, early April into mid April. And then, uh, the season's going to be sort of drawing itself to a close. So, um, hope you're all well here. Loads of snow still in the Port de Soleil. There's a few bare patches here and there, but, um, where there are, you know, uh, shady slopes the uh, the conditions are great more snow coming towards the end of this week so um yeah uh, hello to all your listeners keep up the good work and i will see you soon good morning this is uh, alex armand from ledgers up and tip top ski coaching with an update of our snow conditions and weather conditions so quite excitingly having been uh, through springtime already here in ledgers up uh, we have gone back to winter with freezing levels dropping to 800 meters today uh, snow having fallen yesterday, the day before, and forecast to fall today and tomorrow. Um, with a light wind from the north, um, and we're looking at up to 20-30 centimetres falling um, over the next couple of days, which is fantastic news for the Easter holidays. The snow that's already fallen has completely refreshed the pieces. Uh, the pieces are in fantastic condition. Uh, we need the rest to fall for the off-piece to be refreshed, but uh, we're looking forward to getting some powder days next week. Thank you very much. Well, this is not, I repeat, not an April Fool's joke. Uh, Poisson Avril, as the French would say, here in Val it is snowing this morning. Uh, we've had a, a little top-up of snow, two or three centimetres overnight. Uh, temperatures have dropped and they are going to continue to drop. Uh, the snow is settling all the way down to resort. Um, and it really is looking uh, almost like a winter wonderland once again. Uh, temperatures should remain cold for another couple of days, uh, and the piece conditions really had a lovely freshen up with this snow, and likewise with the uh, off-piste as well. Um, I think... Um 
I think we're going to have some fantastic conditions um, when all this snow is uh, bashed down. Uh, for those early rides, I'm looking at the Olympic lift this morning. A uh, good uh, sort of 50 to 100 people very keen to get up there to make the most of these April fresh powder conditions. Um, it's going to remain like this uh, right the way through the weekend and into the main Easter uh, holiday week next week for those people that are coming out. Uh, then you're assured of fantastic conditions with a cold, uh, crisper nights uh, setting up for some beautiful, beautiful spring-like conditions uh, throughout the week um, so from Valdez Air where it is a return to winter um, get your skis waxed and get your stuff on because it's going to be a fantastic uh, Easter uh, coming up for those of you who are out here or coming out here to the high resorts uh, on holiday hi everybody it's Elena speaking from the tour tourist board so yeah we hadn't had that much snow recently but the good thing is that today it snowed in many Tyrolean regions such as Ischgl, Sankt Anton, Hitzbühel and further um, ski resorts. So we are really happy um, for the end of the season. Also, as we, we welcomed uh, a lot of guests who loved to ski in the late season and also who are ready for eastern skiing so really looking forward to welcome more guests and to more snow right i mentioned in the uh, last episode that i was in andamat and i really wanted to kind of save this section for this episode to to do it uh, justice rather than just to kind of cut it short it was really poignant timing for me going out to andamat because it was almost exactly two years to the day after I arrived in Andermatt when Switzerland announced all their lifts were going to close uh, because of COVID. It was back in March uh, 2020. So it was really lovely to be there again and have the opportunity to see the full area. I travelled out there by train. Uh, there's a, a great video, I think, about that. It took me 10 hours from uh, uh, St Pancras to Andermatt uh, direct. And just to give you a, a bit of the background into Andermatt, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it really has been quite an important resort strategically or an important town strategically in history because it falls in between several different valleys. So we did actually find that, uh, you know, lots of British people went there in those early days of mountaineering. Uh, Queen Victoria, you know, stayed there in the in the 19th uh, century. But gradually, as the railways came in and tunnels were made, the town got cut out completely. And instead of people stopping in the town on their way, crossing passes, traveling into uh, Italy and other areas of Switzerland, it became a, a bit of a, a backwater. And the army ended up taking over the resort and using it as one of their massive uh, uh, bases. So the resort was entirely dependent on the army. And then the army withdrew. And it started to go into a bit of a, a depression. They brought in an Egyptian property uh, developer as a consultant to get his ideas for what they should do. And he looked at this valley and thought, this is so underutilized. It's such a brilliant uh, area. It would be perfect uh, uh, to develop as a resort and actually suggested that himself. The town had a referendum, decided this is better than just stagnating. And consequently, it's just gone through this unbelievable renaissance whereby the ski area has multiplied hugely. They put in lots and lots of new lifts over on the uh, Decentis uh, side. The main uh, ski area that has always uh, existed there uh, has loads and loads of uh, off-piste and always had this history of being a great off-piste uh, area. But now they've got loads of really good piece skiing uh, as well. But predominantly, they have all this property that they're building there. And people have been buying a property and they're developing a lot of this area that actually sat on top of what used to be a, uh, a military firing range. So it wasn't being uh, used at all. They built a golf course there and it's been incredibly successful. They basically sold everything that they've uh, got already, partly because they managed to... Can't exactly remember now how they managed to do this, but partly because they've managed to get the rules changed so that overseas people can buy properties. Because uh, in Switzerland, there are a lot of rules preventing people from outside of Switzerland uh, buying properties there. So it's really been a tremendous uh, a success. It's got a mix of everything. I personally was there for the ski touring, which is my sort of thing. Went out with a brilliant guide, guy called uh, Florian uh, Tresh, who took me up and down uh, through the uh, Gotthard uh, Pass, uh, over to the bottom of the Furka Pass. The Furka Pass, you know, you might know because that's where uh, Sean Connery in the movie Goldfinger 
uh, drive down the hairpin bends, most famous for that. These days, you can uh, take a, a train through the tunnel and avoid that. Skied all of that area, and it was really just gorgeous to be out for uh, so many hours in a row without seeing any other people, just being away from all of the main ski areas completely. What a pleasure that was. Yeah, you can do that. You can do all the free ride skiing, etc. Yet on the main area, the main ski area over in, uh, you know, Decentis Sedrun uh, area, they've got a Michelin star restaurant. You can pick up a bit of everything uh, in Andamat. I was primarily there really to look at their sustainability side of things. Regular listeners to the show will have heard me talk about Swiss Sustainable, the uh, Swiss project for uh, sustainability uh, that they're uh, using to try and position Switzerland as the number one sustainable dis- uh, destination in the world. And Andermatt have their own policy called Andermatt Responsible. And I was really just talking to them about how they do that. You know, they work a lot with uh, hydroelectrics. They actually use a lot of the uh, infrastructure left over from the army and they uh, have a wood chip-fired power plant. So all of their uh, heating comes from that. They've got a lot of wind turbines that they put up, which is which is quite good because there is some objection to putting up wind turbines in alpine areas, and that's producing around a third of their uh, power requirements. So they're doing some really good stuff. So I'm going to write about that for Skier and Snowboarder magazine. And when that eventually comes out in the autumn, you can put a link in. But since I've been there, the most interesting thing that came out uh, earlier this week is that Vail Resorts the massive U.S. Uh, corporation have seen that potential as well. And last week, they arranged to buy 55% of Andermatt. And that is their first investment in Europe. And this is a company that owns Breckenridge, Keystone, Heavenly, Beaver Creek, Vale, obviously, uh, as well, Park City over in Utah. And this is their first investment in Europe. So really really very interesting development i think that's really exciting because we've seen where north american resorts have invested in european resorts and actually they've they've been lifted if we look at what happened with resort 1950 when i think it was whistler resorts invested in it then, yep. then that was a fantastic little hub in that part of the ski area and knowing vale resorts and having skied vale and known about the other resorts they own in north america this is actually really exciting i don't think people should be worried about this there's going to be investment coming in, and actually, it's a real opportunity. I'm trying to remember. It's the Epic Pass, I think, that Vale Resorts yeah. offer. So I would imagine Andamat will be included in the Epic Pass. So it'll end up with more people going over from North America or, or uh, a sharing between them. This is one of those passes that you can buy that covers all of the resorts that they own. So Americans, you know, will have that included. They'll be able to come over to Andamat and do a couple of days there. It's very close to Zurich. Uh, so, you know, that could be that could be really interesting as yeah, well. And that, you know, that journey through Zurich is so easy. It's, it's, it's fantastic to arrive in the airport and get onto the train. And they are great trains. But also, yeah, yeah that... you don't even need to arrive at the airport, Al. You can arrive as I did. Too, well, yeah, yeah but you're arriving the train, but... Just... Just change, uh, change trains there as well. But you're right. Always. It's very, 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 very straightforward uh, to get there. And the only thing I'd say about the trains is that you can't quite go direct because you have to change at a minimum uh, once because the uh, the gauge of the track changes yeah. because it's a, a regular train. Then you go on to a rack uh, cog railway. So you do have to have to change trains but it's not a big deal as it with everything with the trains in switzerland they are perfectly timed uh, to combine so that was fascinating being out in uh, andermatt and i really enjoyed talking to them about sustainability but andermatt are not the only resort uh, looking at their sustainability at the moment uh, last week i chatted with chris o'brien who's the md at the nevis range in scotland about their policy great well i'm delighted to be joined today by chris o'brien who is the managing director of the nevis range how are you today chris very well. Thank you for inviting me to speak to you. It's a genuine pleasure and uh, looking forward to our chat. Uh, now, you are up at the Nevis Range right now. Uh, do you want to just tell us where it is, um, a little bit about the ski area and perhaps what the current conditions are like? Absolutely. So we're uh, we're about seven miles outside of Fort William. Um, it's an absolutely staggeringly beautiful day here today. I would say conditions are a little bit icy up there, but there's still plenty of fun to be had. And, uh, you know, particularly the, the summit and our goose area, I've still got really, really good snow on them. And so hopefully we can see a few more people up the hill over the course of the rest of the week. Excellent. I actually looked on your Facebook page this morning and I saw a really uh, beautiful picture that uh, someone had taken uh, already from today. So as you say, it looks like a really stunning day. It is. It's stunning. I, I can assure you that once uh, we've had our chat, I'll certainly be finding my way up the hill for the rest of the day. 
Hmm, excellent. Okay. And what, what kind of, you know, to give an idea to people who are not familiar with the area, what kind of size area is it? Huge, really. Uh, I mean, we've got uh, sort of 11 lifts. We're, we're not operating all of them right now. We're operating what, if you like, the arterial lifts to get everybody around there. So our alpha area, quad area, summit and goose, which is the, the backbone of the company. Uh, in fact, we actually only a couple of weeks ago had our busiest day on the hill for 10 years, busiest winter day, that is, uh, where we had 2,000 people up there all enjoying themselves. So, you know, there's a fair old capacity that we can get. So it's all served by our mountain gondola, which is probably the, the unique feature that we've got. And it's actually been our saving grace in many ways because uh, the mountain gondola has become a tourist attraction in its own right and is actually the uh, the, the biggest part of the company is uh, the process of getting tourists up the hill. But it does make it that a little bit more pleasant if you've got one of those good Scottish skiing days where you've got a little bit of shelter on your way up the hill anyway. <laughs> yeah, I think I probably know what you're talking about, about the, uh, the Scottish skiing days. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, Chris, was um, I read uh, an article about the measures that Nevis Range are taking for from a sustainability point of view and there's a goal or i believe maybe you've already uh, decided that uh, the resort is carbon neutral and i wondered if you could tell us a little bit more about how you've moved towards that and indeed how that's accredited we we are carbon neutral already um we have a goal of becoming truly net zero within the next two years and uh, it's it actually it drives every part of our philosophy and who we are. And uh, I, I'll talk very briefly about how we got that accredited, but if you don't want, I'd kind of like to, to describe that, that journey to you and, and really the benefits that's coming, and a lot of soft benefits, actually, that maybe you wouldn't have thought about or, or maybe people would have associated. But we decided probably about 12 months ago, you know, we, we've always had the, that kind of philosophy of we want to be... Uh, the best company we can be. But really, we wanted to move that beyond an ambition and nice thoughts and actually start measuring it and, and doing it properly. And, and it actually began with fair work and living wage. So we became a living wage employer. We became a fair work employer. And that philosophy really started to change who, who we were. So to become carbon neutral, there are so many tools out there that you can use to assess it. And it's actually a little bit overwhelming. And it can be very difficult to understand how to begin that process. So we actually engaged with a company uh, south of the border, as it happens, called uh, CarbonFootprint.com. We got them in to help us assess what are we actually doing. You know? and, and I can to cut the, the long part of the story very short, we were actually staggered by how well we were already doing. You know, And that, that was a big, big part of... Uh, 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 of this process for us. So, for example, um, of, of the lifts that we have on the hill, only one of the, hill, the lifts isn't electrified, and that lift isn't actually running at the moment. Okay? So it's an electrical supply that's up there. In terms of our base station, several years ago, we actually built our own hydroelectric plant, and that supplies about 60% of the energy. Now, we did actually sell that plant to another company a few years ago, but part of the deal was that we could still buy all of the power that they could give us from that plant at a price that was significantly cheaper than the grid. So it effectively created investment capital for us. No, Excellent. And, and you're saying uh, in relation to that hydro plant then, 60% uh, of all your electricity is renewable on that basis already? Yes, that's right. And uh, if you're starting from that point, it, you know, it's not, that for a bigger journey to go on to actually achieve the neutrality. In many ways, it's relatively simple to make some of those changes to go towards carbon neutrality. But you've got to look at your supply chain as well. Right? And this is where some of the soft benefits started coming in for us. So we looked at our supply chain and we wanted to understand their carbon impact because that's the true impact of what's going on in your business, right? It's also who you're buying from. The first thing that changed for us was we thought, okay, we're going to do this properly we can only work with people who share our values and that led to some really tough choices you know we had to stop working with some suppliers and we started working with a lot of new ones but the the fantastic benefit 
is when you're working with people where your philosophies are already aligned, there's almost no adversarial relationships within your, your business universe, if, if you like. So genuinely working with other people is an absolute pleasure. And that totally changes the way you go about things. Your negotiations with people, they don't really start with price anymore. They start about who you are. And what a wonderful place that is to start from. And it totally changes where you're going. I mean, that that sounds obviously the great starting point to uh, come from. And I know there's lots of developments that you're doing now because you're redeveloping that base station at the moment. And I think from what I read or how I understand it is the goal is to make the whole of that base station redevelopment carbon neutral as well. How, how are you doing that? Combination of things. So you're right. We have got a major development going on down here. We're building a 22 bedroom hotel, a 24 bedroom bunkhouse. We're building a new bike shop area. We, we've got a, a, a restaurant being built. We're actually building a children's activity area as well, which will feature a uh, child-led climbing wall. And uh, we're also building a, a soft play area. And we are currently working on plans for an apprentice academy at the base station as well. So lots of development going on. Now, how we actually get that to carbon neutral, a lot of that, is the future of the project, where are we getting the energy from, the efficiency of the building and things like that, our buying choices. And during the project itself, uh, we're minimizing carbon impact by using Scottish suppliers for basically everything. Our main contractor is based just outside of Edinburgh. And we're also, for the duration of the project, um, using um, some, some carbon offsets as well. But crucially, on the carbon offsets, we're investing in gold standard UK-based carbon offsets that involve planting of trees within the UK um, so that we can be absolutely certain of the validity of the, the offset. Cool. Okay. I mean, that's really interesting uh, that we could talk about <laughs> offsets for a long time, but that sounds like a very good way okay. to treat it. I also believe that you have a plan for zero waste as well. We've we've almost achieved zero waste in, in uh, a number of sections of the business, actually. So... Our cafes, for example, uh, it's only compostable packaging. We have a composter on site. Uh, we have zero single-use plastic on site. Uh, we, we take advantage of using glass and easy-to-recycle cans and things like that. Um, so already the cafes are there. Right? The, the, the challenges to, to get the rest of the business to zero waste are... And I think, you know, a, a thought that has crossed my mind since we've been having our conversation is you're obviously based near Fort William. You know, I've been looking at coming up to Scotland uh, the last uh, couple of years and I haven't quite been able to do it, but I prefer to travel by train. And I think you yeah. can get the Caledonia Express direct to Fort William, can't you? Do you have any link up with um, train travel for, for discount on lift passes or anything like that? We, we don't have a discount relationship at the moment. That's certainly something I'll be willing to explore. We've got a, a long-standing relationship with uh, Caledonian Sleeper. We, we always think it's a, a great service to use because you, you can actually day trip effectively using the sleeper as your hotel. And uh, is there anything more romantic than a dinner in the Caledonian Sleeper lit by Morrison's car park? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think to, for a day, that would be quite a journey, although I guess it depends where you're coming from. You could be talking about, you know, coming from uh, Edinburgh or yeah. something like that. Um, but, you know, I think for most ski resorts, a lot of the things they really have to focus on when they're looking to try and become carbon neutral is the cost of travel to the to yeah. the resort, the carbon cost of travel to the resort itself, because different surveys show that that might be 50 to 70 percent of the carbon cost of the holiday. So, you know, things like that. And I know that you have plans for EV chargers or maybe have EV chargers already in the uh, car park there? So we already have EV chargers. We, we've had them in for three years, actually. So, you know, it's something we truly want to encourage is to people to, to, to use uh, electrical means to get here. Beyond that, we, we actually have, you know, you know we, we're, we're here to talk about skiing today, but we've got 60 kilometres of bike trails at Nevis Range, you know, and actually we, we have a really solid bike path link to Fort William train station and out to Speen Bridge. They, they've been working on active travel coaches so you know you can get your bikes on, you can get your skis on and things like that. But I mean, if you're if you're prepared to, to ride to Nevis Range, there's a great network of trails that we've spent a lot of money making sure that you can do that easily. 
That's brilliant, Chris. Thanks very much for that. That's a really interesting insight into the carbon neutral situation at Nevis Range. And I'm sure there's some useful uh, ideas there for other resorts as well. And I wish you all uh, continued progress with the uh, development of the new base station and your journey, continued journey towards sustainability. Thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you very much. See you on the hill soon. So that was really interesting. Now, Al, you mentioned to me earlier that you actually skied in the uh, Nevis Range recently. You've been on this big road trip around uh, Scotland. So let's stay in uh, in Scotland. Let's start with uh, the snow. What was it like while you were up there? Surprisingly good. I thought, given the lack of snowfall, not just in Europe, but in Scotland this season, you know, it's been a bit thin in terms of how much snow has fallen, that it was going to be a bit patchy. And yes, slower down it was. But if you're above six, 700 metres, the snow conditions were just absolutely incredible. So if you were happy to hike a little or skin a little, the skiing was absolutely phenomenal. And if we look at Nevis Range, so on about a week ago on Friday, while I was there, we skied the back corries and it was a bit pea soup. That was a one cloudy day we had. But then when we got to the top, there's a little wind lip to drop in. Skies cleared, the sun came out and it was just heavenly. Cool. That sounds that sounds great. And so, as your trip, then you, how long were you up in Scotland for? Nine days of skiing back to back, which is that's pretty unusual for Scotland. But we were blessed with sunshine for almost every day. Wow, um, I'm very uh, jealous because I've been trying to get that uh, trip in. I know that one of the reasons that you went there specifically was to go and visit uh, the Mighty Co event. And we interviewed uh, Neil Dalgleish, the organizer of that, in episode eighty nine. Uh, do you want to just explain a little bit about what that event is and, and what it was like, what it was like being there? So brands were there so that people could come and have a go on the product or look at the product. So some brands had kit that you could ski on, mainly skis, not boots. And then other brands were there with product for you to just look at. So head skis up there with, with kit and showing people their, their, their range. There was lots of brands there. And then there was other things, accessories. So, you know, arcade belts and things were there and selling selling kit. But really, it was a bit of a mountain festival. It had a fantastic vibe. There was music going on. There was food. There was a lot of people. So it was up by the Plateau Cafe. So you had to get the chairlift up or hike up if you wanted. But the, the resort had done a fantastic job of maintaining runs back to the cafe, which was a bit thin there. Once you got another 50 meters higher then the skiing was awesome. And Flypaper, really famous run at Glencoe, was open with amazing skiing. I don't know how many times I did that run, but it was absolutely fantastic. And a theme of the weekend was ski touring. You know, we, you and I have spoken about ski touring a lot uh, on the podcast, but it was fantastic to see people coming up and having a go. You know, you bought a lift pass, you paid another five pounds to get into Mighty Co. And then you could access... You know, there was Nigel Shepherd up with Salomon and then um, Glenmore Lodge had Andy Townsend over with Atomic and he was taking client, you know, customers out to go touring. And everybody that I spoke to up there having a go at it just had the best time. Excellent. I mean, that sounds uh, good. So you had really good weather. The snow was OK. Am I right in thinking that they that that cafe had opened that particular weekend or it's specific to open around <laughs> yeah, the time so the cafe at the bottom of the access chair so from the car park there's a uh, a double chair that runs up the mountain and um the cafe at the bottom had opened two days before the event it's running a <laughs> little right. late in opening but it is just the cafe is beautiful it's really big spacious and open uh got good food on offer and the mighty co uh with i think ellis brigham and north face ran a, a movie night there yep. um so yeah it, it was fantastic excellent and what sort of turnout were we you looking at there i mean could you give us an idea of roughly how many people had turned up and how that i wouldn't even know how that compared to their normal weekends yeah, so my understanding is that the resort was completely sold out for that weekend. How many that is, I did try and find this figure out. I don't have it yet. I'm waiting for it from the mind to go. But there must have been a few thousand people there over the weekend. I mean, it was the the on the hill, it didn't feel busy. It felt, you know, like they were really active, which was great. A lot of people were just hanging around the kind of festival village, which is why it had such a fantastic vibe. But yeah, it was awesome to see so many people out enjoying scotland not just from scotland they're driven in from other parts of the uk and people have come kind of five hours journey from some of the outer isles in scotland to come to the event really people have come up from from uh england as well from the south yeah, as well absolutely right excellent and so that was one of the trips and just so you know uh 
get this uh, right, the geography in my mind. You know, if I'm looking at a map of Great Britain at the moment, over on the left-hand side, the west, we've got, you know, Glencoe and Nevis Range. But you yeah. also said you skied over in the east uh, side as well. Yeah, so I was in the Aviemore area for a lot of the week before. So the weekend before the Mighty Co uh, was another event. So Glenmore Lodge is the National Outdoor Training Centre in Scotland, and they do a lot of ski activities too. Um, so on that weekend, the weekend of the 19th, 20th of March, Glenmore Lodge ran their wild weekend, which is a kind of a, a main point of their skiing winter calendar. And again, this is just letting people know what ski touring is. It's not about full-on ski touring, going for hours, really sweaty, loads of up. It's just about fun and getting onto the kit, learning how the kit uses. This was a strange winter. Normally, they'd have around 140, 150 people, but because we are just coming out of the kind of COVID restrictions in Scotland, there were fewer, so there were about 40, 50 uh, consumers there. And again, they were just blessed with some amazing weather. On the Saturday, not much wind really sunny on the sunday it was a bit more classic scotland with 50 to 60 miles an hour wind so it was a bit of a slog going into it and you know what even though it was a bit brutal everybody came back with the biggest grins i was just super impressed with it with the consumers that were up there right okay uh, um making me again quite jealous because i think it was last year i had a press trip lined up to go to glenmore lodge and I was really looking uh, forward to that. But, you know, all the COVID restrictions meant it didn't happen. But I did do a little bit of uh, looking into it. They've got some fantastic rooms because they've had a lot of work done in the centre. So it's expanded. It's got much bigger. So on a normal wild weekend, they can fill the whole centre. And, you know, they've got dry tool climbing walls. They've, they've got all sorts of activities that go in there. And it's not just skiing that happens a lot of Sports Scotland kind of activities are based there, whether it be paddling, mountain biking, climbing, etc. So it's a bit more, not quite luxury, but but it's a bit better prepared for hosting customers than you might think of a youth hostel. So the food is amazing. The cakes, I love cake, but the cake huh? was just awesome. So yeah, it 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 it, it, it serves the clients there fantastically well great food easy access to the mountains and just amazing views great okay well i, I uh, definitely need to get there myself to uh, to check that out and did you also mention that you did some mountain biking while you're in scotland as well al yeah so for the first time i did some proper mountain bike touring so from from aviemore we there's a, there's a an area well Brariac, which is really famous so we cycled in with skis strapped to the bikes and all the boots and things on the bikes and, and a backpack on and then you skin up the escalator and we did some skiing off the back of there yeah so that was about a 30 mile day again fantastic weather really really lucky it was it was yeah. great fun sorry what's the escalator the escalator is essentially it's a bit of a gully that, that gets filled with snow and you yes i suppose that's the question it's it's a gully that fills with snow and you can skin up it and then when you ski back down it it's just a really good pitch you get you ascend quite quickly without it being punishing or tiring and the yeah. snow came down pretty low cool well it sounds like a brilliant trip and so hopefully uh, with that, uh, the little chat we had there about Nevis Range and understanding a little bit more about the Mighty Co and talking about Aviemore as well. Uh, listener, you understand a little bit more about Scotland. Keep your eye on the forecast because they actually can get really good late season skiing as well, can't they? Yeah, it's their, their season typically runs November to April, but last year they were skiing in Scotland way later than that in May. And I think some people were accessing snow even later, potentially June, July. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, actually, Mike Richards, who's been on the show a whole bunch of times and has reported for us on skiing in Wales, skied in Wales in May last year, if I recall correctly. Again, you know, it wasn't possible to go skiing anywhere else. So brilliant. That's really interesting. Right. I'm going to turn now, if it's OK, to Babsy. I've listed you as being from the Mountain Trade Network. Do you just want to explain what the Mountain Trade Network is? It's, it's a platform for any businesses working in the mountain industry. And we connect them via our virtual um, meetings as well as our live events districts and sustex and the press center where people can share all their news 
and we sort of sent them out as well. So it's just really connecting everyone, helping. Yeah, so it literally, it literally is then a network uh, for, uh, for mountain trade. I've certainly, uh, you know, been following it recently and I, th- I found it really useful, particularly when all the rules were changing because uh, I think Austria were very good at updating through your network as to how things had changed what the D, what the uh, situation was in relation to tests and uh, vaccinations, etc. So that was really good like that. You mentioned the live events then. Now, Listex, we've mentioned uh, on the show before, and we interviewed uh, James uh, Gambrel, uh, who is now with the Ski Club of Great Britain. And, uh, you know, so therefore, you've taken over the running of, uh, of Listex now. Listex, if I recall correctly, you can tell me, does it stand for the london yeah. international ski travel exchange <laughs> it's the london international snow sports trade exchange there Maybe. you go well, i was i was close i've been to it loads of times <laughs> i've been to it loads of times i can actually remember when it what it stood for what i do know is that i've just booked my accommodation and my train to go up there in may Brilliant. Uh, do you just want to give us a, a, um, uh, some details so where is it going to be and when so it's um, on the 4th and 5th of May at Hemelhemsted, the snow centre. So we've got Listex and now we also have Sustex, which is the summer alpine uh, event we do. Because um, suppliers coming over, obviously, to sort of promote summer and winter now. Sort of, it makes sense. It saves time and money. And a lot of the uh, tour operators do offer, obviously, both now. Same as what you said about Scotland. Obviously, you know, you want to promote all year round. Yeah, for sure. It makes a lot of sense. And I think, although there were some events during the uh, autumn, this will be the first time for a lot of people, I think, where they've had a chance to meet face to face and have meetings face to face. And just to clarify, then, this is a this is a trade thing. It's not for consumers, but this is how tour operators find new hotels or find new resorts that they end up including and offering to people. It's those kind of meetings we're talking about, isn't it? Yes, that's correct. So it's like a bit like speed dating. You have those <laughs> pre-scheduled meetings, uh, 20 minutes meetings, and you just sort of arrange them over the two days. I've certainly found that useful before. My involvement has been more uh, in terms of the kind of forum and the, the presentation side of things. And that, uh, hopefully I'm going to be involved in the sustainability uh, panel this year. And we'll be discussing that side of things. But generally, this is an opportunity for information sharing between people in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And catching up and just we just really want to help and connect everyone as well. You know, so we have um, other people coming as well who just, you know, we've got new businesses pitching at Listex that's hosted now by um, In The Snow. Yeah, it's just it's just a bit of fun. Those, and also the networking and the party. Those have been really interesting before. I see you've uh, renamed it this year, but you used to call it the Dragon's Den. Maybe you're worried about uh, being sued now, but you get different people who are doing these startups in the ski industry who come along and do their pitch in the same way that the TV programme works to a bunch of experienced people from the industry. And they give, I don't think they actually ever commit to giving any money. Maybe Dom Killinger from In The Snow might have done that uh, before. (laughs) But it's really interesting to see uh, these new ideas because every year there's a whole bunch of of new ideas from different people. And seeing them quizzed on those ideas and thinking for yourself, you know, is that something, could that work? You know, would that kind of work? Um, are you allowed to tell us, you know, who might be doing their pitches for this year? There might be. I, I'm not sure. You see, I don't want to <laughs> give it away because, right, um, okay. yes. So we've got we've got a few people. Um, it will be on the website. Dominic Perrid is going to come over. So he's going to pitch his new business. Previously, I'm trying to think back and uh, think of the, the names of some of the uh, businesses that have been there before. But, you know, do you know if any of them have, have kind of gone on to, you know, be successful within the industry? Yeah, we've had Axie Ski, we had um, Snow Cookie, we had uh, obviously Snow Camp. I really enjoyed that particular session and I see that session is going to be going on uh, again. And uh, also there's the opportunity for people who maybe haven't uh, been out because it's being held at the Hemel, at Hemel Hempstead at the Snow Centre. It is possible to go for a ski as well while or like network on the slope, so to speak, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. It's just all about connecting, having some fun as well as, you know, informative, you know, have business meetings. So it's it's just a really good event where you can catch up with lots of people over two days. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to it. Al, are you, will you be attending at all? Is that the sort of thing for you? 
Yeah, I've been to loads of Listex meetings and hopefully I'll, I'll be there in May. And I love the fact that it's at Hemel. It's a great slope and the fact that you can actually talk about skiing and then go skiing mm-hmm. really close to London is a fantastic opportunity. And it's coming up in just over a month's time. That is not very long at all. We get our, our uh, Easter holidays and it might feel a bit weird going on an indoor slope after that. But I tend to be of the school of thought that any skiing at any time is good. It doesn't matter how you know short the slope is, etc. It's just really good to be on snow. And, uh, you know, I'll certainly be if I if I manage to get on the slope, which I hopefully will do this time around, I'll certainly include it as my day skiing during, you know, 2022. Will you ski yourself, uh, Al? Uh, if I am there, absolutely. I wouldn't miss it. Yeah. Babsy, will you have time to get on the slopes? I probably won't. I oh. probably won't. I, I'll be there the day before. Okay. Okay. You get some practice in. Cool. Okay. Well, that's coming up. I'll put a link into the show notes uh, if you are in the industry and you'd like to find out some more about that. Um, Otherwise, reviews and comments, uh, they are always welcome. If you're uh, in the UK, give us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or or iTunes. If you're not in the UK, send me an email, theskipodcast.gmail.com. Uh, or you can uh, review us on Spotify uh, as well, or wherever you uh, download your podcasts. And stickers. Uh, Katie has been stocked up with some stickers to uh, take to Chamonix uh, with her. Kids said, are we allowed to put these up? I said, of course you are. You can put those stickers anywhere uh, you want to uh, within uh, reason. If you'd like some ski podcast stickers, then uh, just let me know by email and I'll drop some to you and you can uh, uh, put them around the resort that you're going to or on your helmet or on your uh, uh, ski etc and so coming up in our next episode then well katie will be reporting on chamonix her first holiday for a couple of years um i'm going to uh ladies alp al remind me where you're going at easter time i'm in valandri which is just in the lazark ski area yeah brilliant i skied in uh in valandri when i was in lazark in uh in january they've got an excellent new uh gondola there have you, have yeah. you seen that at all I haven't been on it. This will be our first trip since they've installed it. Okay. Well, you can you can read. Uh, no, you can watch my review of it on the uh, Skipedia YouTube uh, channel because I did a little video. But at the top of it as well, I don't know if you've seen this, how old are your kids? Nine and eleven. Yeah, perfect. They've got a really good kind of alpine museum there, which gives you a bit of an insight into a lot of the local flora and fauna at the top of integrated into the uh, the top of the gondola. Uh, so you know worth going to have a look at that while you're there as well ace <laughs> and babsy you're going out to the alps as well you think for easter i think you said to me in the green room you haven't decided you're just going to decide near the time where the best snow is exactly exactly i mean you know you're so lucky you know be able to go now it's it's just wonderful <laughs> for sure it's just the it's just the joy isn't it well i'm going to lay this out and immediately after uh, this out i'm going to Korsval. Well, I'm going to be taking part in an event called the Dinastar uh, X3 event, which is a kind of uphill triathlon. You start off by cycling from kind of near Bozell and you go like 900 meters vertical climb on the bike to Courcheval 1850. And then there's a transition in 1850. Then you do a, a run that takes in a couple of hundred meters of vertical. And then you ski tour from 1850 to Salia, another kind of 900, 950. So that should be pretty interesting, trying to train for that down at sea level. That's why I was uh, a ski touring in Andamat. So I'll be reporting on that one in the in the next podcast as well. And listen, that will probably come in three weeks' time to allow for uh, Easter and everything like that. So um, I do enjoy listening to all feedback from the show. Uh, you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at the Ski Podcast. Uh, but for now, I'd like to thank Switzerland Tourism for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today, Babsy. Thank you very much for having me. Katie. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks, Ian. And Al. Thanks, Ian. It's been awesome. Finally, listener, thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Don't forget that if you want to support the podcast, then remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKIPODCAST or simply take the link in the show notes. It'll save you money and help us too. Thanks again and have a great winter.